Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll finish it up beginning in verse 7. A study entitled, Arrest a Rebellion. You know, it's interesting in our lives as Christians, how many Christians actually believe that because we're saved by grace that we can kind of do whatever we want with our lives. That in fact, somehow God will, so to speak, bless our mess. That what we do doesn't matter. And to the writer of Hebrews, here in the second admonition, this strong encouragement, which I prefer to look at as God telling me what I really need to know because he loves me, we have an admonition. If we want to enter the rest of the Lord, if we don't want to have lives that are marked by chaos, We don't want to have lives that are marked by struggle and stress and strain. Then there's some keys in this passage to living a rest-filled life. Which means there's also the opposite. We can walk in rebellion. We can turn away from the word of the Lord. We can do things our own way. We have a will that's our own. We can accomplish God's will or our will. The choice is ours. There's rest in accomplishing the will of the Lord. And there's a lack of it in rebellion. And so I pray this morning, as we turn our attention to God's word, uh, that we'll be blessed and strengthened through it. Would you join me? Let's pray. And we'll begin in verse 7 here in Hebrews 3. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the rest that I have in you. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that's not resting, Lord, maybe they're itching against that truth that's inside of them. Perhaps they're conflicted. They have a desire or a design for their own life that's not from you. God, I pray that because you love us, that your gentle admonition would go out to your people and that we would walk in your ways all of the days of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to preface what we're going to read next in these first several verses. Can you imagine a Jewish person hearing these words? Because the writer of Hebrews is now about to take a shot at the father's. Those whom they looked up to, it'd be kind of like us picking on our favorite pastor. You know, it's just like, yeah, how come he went there? And therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, you are hearing the voice of the Lord. Through the word of God, it is the voice of the Lord. Happens to be using my vocal cords, but it's really God's word, so it's his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What rebellion? We're about to be told. Here's a place that you can look at scripture and go, here's what they did, here's the result. 
in the day of trial in the wilderness. Anybody remember what the wilderness was known as during that day and time? It was, in fact, the wilderness of sin, was it not? Sin is always a wilderness. Sin is always a wilderness, church. And if you walk in sin, you will be in the wilderness. You'll be away from God's goodness. You'll be away from his grace. You may still be saved, but you'll be wandering in the wilderness whenever you're in sin. Where your fathers tested me and tried me. So here's God saying your fathers, in this case Moses, Aaron, to some degree even Jacob, Joshua, saw my works for 40 years, and therefore I was angry with that generation. You really don't want God to have to show you things for 40 years and not listen. But it is true that many Christians think that God doesn't mean what he says. That when he shows us things, it's like we can do whatever we want. People look at their Bibles like it's a collection of nice suggestions. A basic philosophy, if you would just follow it, it you know, might be well with you. No, it's truth. And it's intended for our instruction. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways, and so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There it is. The result of wandering in the wilderness in rebellion to God is you will not have the rest that God wants for you. Sometimes when you read passages like this, you can overdo it, in essence, with the negativity of the warning, because this is a very strong warning. But I don't think that's what the Lord intends for us today. I think it's more of that gentle correction that God wants to give us today. Maybe a reminder would be a good way to look at it. A reinforcement, perhaps, of the way many of you are already living your lives. But I also think that we need to be serious about what we see in this passage. We need to stay on track, church. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we want rest in our lives. And while I'm not asking for a show of hands and certainly wouldn't ever ask you to do this, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands and say how many of you have had a restless heart in the midst of a sinful behavior, probably every hand in the room would go up. That moment of time where you knew what the Lord's word said, but you did the opposite, and because of it, you had no peace in your life. And in fact, it affected every area of your life with a lack of peace, with a lack of rest. It is hard to walk in sin. It's difficult for us. It requires attention to details that we shouldn't even have to think about. That's why when we talk about truth, when you tell the truth, you can forget what you said. Amen? 
Because the truth is always the truth. You don't have to try and remember what you said. It just simply is true. And so if you're ever asked that same question again, the answer will be the same because it's true. But when you weave a web of lies in your life, you have to remember absolutely everything you have ever said with regard to those things. And you know what usually happens? It unravels. And so the writer says, hear his voice. It's really a word that means to give diligence, to focus. It's not just hearing audibly the word of the Lord. It's to focus in on what's being said. It's to actually hear with your heart, not just with your ears. Not just to think on it in your mind, but to take it to heart is the inference here. To actually believe it. And when you believe something, you act on it. When you know something is true, it becomes part of who you are. It's not just something you know. Israel didn't believe the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, you can see it throughout the time in the wilderness. They rebelled against the things that God had said. And time and time and time again, God would have to send them a corrective measure into the camp of the Israelites in the wilderness of sin. So much so that the Lord ends up doing things like setting up a bronze serpent in the middle of the camp. Reminding that if you just look to me, you'll live. We really don't want God to have to do that. And so there's an easier way, and that's the way of rest. That's the way of hearkening unto the things that God has said in our lives and doing them. Faith indeed does come by hearing, and hearing does come by the word of God. That Romans 10, 17 promise. The Bible frequently and often uses this picture of the word of God being a a sword, a short sword, a battle sword, a sword that's intended to be close up and personal with the enemy. One that you can do battle with the devil with, just like Jesus did. When confronted with temptation, Jesus took out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the devil was cut to his core. And the devil fled. But too many Christians in the face of adversity, things in their lives that are temptations, take out something other than the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. They'll take out perhaps the common opinion of mankind for the day. Maybe some view of psychology. The sword is not intended to wound you, church. It doesn't wound me, but it does carve the garbage out, much like a paring knife does out of an apple that's otherwise good, but it's got one spot in it that needs to go. Amen? Any of you ever done that? Or maybe a, your favorite watermelon? You know, I, I love watermelon. It's like, but every once in a while you get one, it's just like, man, that spot's got to go. And so you take out a sharp knife, you just get rid of that spot, the rest of it's still good. The Lord is like that with his word. He cuts out the things that shouldn't be in our lives. You could use that analogy in all kinds of different ways. 
We see it in the life of Stephen when he confronted the Cyrenians and Alexandrians. As he began to speak to them, when they heard those things, Acts chapter 7, verse 54 says, when they heard those things, as Stephen spoke the word of God into their life, they were cut to the quick. They were cut in their hearts. Heart surgery was done. And so God wants to do that with us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he wants us to rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. And that's rest right now. That's not eternal rest. You will have eternal rest as well, but it's rest for today. Anybody need some rest in your life today? I do. I need rest. This world tries to keep us anxious. This world tries to keep us divided. This world tries to stir up our souls. And Jesus wants to give us rest. And so he sends his word into our lives to give rest for our soul. Taking those things which otherwise overwhelm us and calming them down. There are so many benefits to this rest as we hear the word of the Lord. Look, hearing the word of the Lord, let's be honest, the first thing it does is tell us the difference between things that are good and things that are bad, things that are sin and things that are not. When you read the word of God, you're going to be confronted with some of the things in your life that you might be allowing in right now. So it helps us to identify the sin, the unbelief, the things that have crept into our hearts that will cause us to be restless. Sin and unbelief will always cause you to be restless. You'll be stirred up in your heart. It also exposes our heart. It enables new things to get in there. And this is the opposite of having a hard heart. The word of God keeps you from having a hard heart. And the problem with the children of Israel is their hearts had become hard. And so here they are in the wilderness, and they have boiled their whole existence down to, it's hot and dry, and we don't like manna and quail. So they began to exist in a hardened state of heart. All they could see was the difficulties. They could not see what the Lord was doing in the midst of the difficulties. They would not give God the opportunity to cut away the deadness of their hearts so that new things could get in. A classic example of this is the bitterness that resides in so many people's lives, where they hold on to something for so long that it skins over their heart and their heart becomes hard because of the bitterness. That hate that they carry around for someone in their life that's harmed them or hurt them. And all the while they don't realize that the bitterness is actually destroying them. It's not harming the other person at all. When I hear the word, you're not going to like this. You're going to see you how God sees you. You see, I don't like that. I would like to be able to kind of hide from God periodically. It's like, Lord, you know, could I just stand over here behind this rock and you don't see me? 
The problem is God's word exposes the duplicity of my heart. And then I see myself the way God sees me, which forces me to do some work. And that work will actually produce rest in me. Why? Because I then become honest about myself. Very often the reason that people are not at rest in the Lord is they have been dishonest about themselves. They have in essence concocted a fake narrative about who they are and they have to maintain that fake narrative and it takes work. A lot of work. And so you're running around trying to make sure that everybody sees what you told them, but it's actually not true, and the Word of God revealed who you actually are, but you're not going to yield to that, and so you don't have rest. You're busy trying to keep this thing going that you created. And God's saying, let me reduce those things in your life so that the Word does what it should do. It causes us to be honest with God. And that's so important if we really want to have God's best. I need to be honest with God. He's always honest with me, but I need to be honest with him. And when I am, it's like, Lord, I need help. I don't have peace right now. I need your peace. To some degree, we walk around in a state of perpetual bankruptcy, if we're really honest. I need the Lord. But if I pretend I don't need the Lord... If I don't let the Lord's word seek those areas of my life that need change, then I'm quite content the way I am, and I'm not going to be what I need to be. God wants us to join him in his rest, church. And I want you to see this. When God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do when he got done? He rested. He wasn't running around going, oh no, what have I created? How do I take care of this now? Man, I just created a bunch of work for myself. No, he was so thoroughly satisfied with his creation, he rested. And this is a picture for you. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. Do you think those works are supposed to be a bunch of work? Or are they supposed to be you resting in Christ? They're the latter of those two things. You're supposed to be resting in Christ. That work should flow out of who you are. It's not something that you have to fabricate. You've been created in Christ Jesus for those things, and it should be restful to be in the center of God's will. And when you don't have rest, it is likely because you're not in the center of God's will. You have put something in your own life that does not belong there. And now you have to maintain it. Now you've got to keep it. You have to make sure it continues to work the way you fabricated it. In Genesis 49, one of the great messianic passages in the book of Genesis, in verse 10, a scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace. It can also mean rest. The Messiah was seen as a bringer of rest. So he was. Why? Because when these words were written, prior to the flood and all those things that went on, the kingdom of God actually was 
a kingdom of rest. Adam and Eve were not working originally. Remember that? What were they doing? They were walking in the garden of God at peace, talking to God. They were not working. Work came after the sin. One of the reasons that we work today is because of sin. When sin entered into the world, mankind is part of the curse on Adam and Eve. Okay, you're going to work with your hands, you're going to toil. You're going to earn a living by the sweat of your brow. Actually, even the rest that we should have that is now hindered by the fact that we have to work is not part of God's plan. So in case you ever want to know, you're not going to have a job in heaven. You're not going to punch a time clock. You're not going to get a paycheck. You're not going to pay taxes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. No, you're going to have what God wanted for us in the first place. A kingdom of rest. Rest for your weary souls. And if that's what God wants for us in the future, don't you think that's actually what he wants for us right now? It is. God wants us to be at rest, even in this crazy life. He's given us power over the things of this earth through who we are in Christ Jesus. But the opposite is also true. There is no rest in sin. There's rest in the center of God's will, but there's no rest in sin. There in Proverbs 13, the law of the wise is a fountain of life. The picture there is just your life overflowing constantly with the goodness of God. To turn one away from the snares of death. In other words, you can have a fountain or you can have the snares. The choice is yours. And verse 15, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful, the way of the unbeliever, the way of the sinner, the way of the person who chooses to disobey God is hard. It's just plain hard. And so the writer of Hebrews, knowing this truth, reminds us that we're supposed to be freed from this stress that the world continually tries to heap on us. The closer I am to the Lord, the more at rest I am with the things that are going on. It doesn't mean I have all the answers. It means that I'm resting in who Christ is. It means I look at the world's problems through his eyes and his resources, his power, his abilities, instead of my own. When I look at the world, and then I look at maybe the power of our country, or or the power of our government, or our own power as an individual church, or, or whatever power source you would want to look at, relative to the power of God, I'm going to come up short all the time. Amen? But if I'm resting in who he is, and what he can do, and what he has as resources that are at his disposal, which by the world is the entirety of the universe then he's not going to come up short. He's not going to lack wisdom. So if I walk in something other than his plans, I'm walking in that disobedience, and that disobedience, that disbelieving, that doubting, 
that comes from that drifting that we saw in chapter 2. Remember, you begin by drifting, passively not doing anything with that which you've gotten from the Lord. You're just kind of drifting around in this world. Pretty soon I start doubting. And before you know it, I start disbelieving. That's the cycle. The enemy wants you to drift. Then he wants you to doubt. And then he wants you to disbelieve so that you will trust in yourself and you will walk away from the Lord. And God's saying, why don't you just rest in me, Jeff? If you look at the children of Israel, and we don't have time to go through the whole story, but if you just read Numbers chapters 13 and 14, and you look at this this story of what happens at the end as the children of Israel have made it to Kadesh Barnea, and they're about to enter in, because they doubted what God said, they died in the wilderness of sin. Because they doubted what God said. They died in the wilderness of sin to a person. So you have these spies, these ten spies that go in and they they look and what do they do? Ah! They freak out. Giants, right? There's giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. Joshua and Caleb look. They don't see giants. They see almighty God's power. They see God. They stand on the promises that God made. Who gave them the land? God. How did God give them the land? As a perpetual inheritance and promise to them. But they didn't believe the promises of God. And because they didn't believe the promises of God, they died in the wilderness. And this is a picture for us. Do you believe the promises of God? Because there's no way to receive the promises of God without believing the promises of God. You won't have what God wants unless you believe that he is the one that's able to give them to you. No matter what's in front of you. No matter what the world throws at you. It is God who is faithful, and he is faithful even when we are faithless. Amen? His promises are not contingent upon you. They're contingent upon him. You'll receive them in obedience, but he is fully able to make them a reality in your life if you believe him. But if you don't believe him, you're going to wander around in that wilderness. And so, do you want the, the rest, or do you want a war? Do you want to wander? I firmly believe that had the children of Israel gotten to the border and just believed God, that a lot of the wars that you see in the book of Joshua wouldn't have been necessary. I think they entered into those wars because God was teaching them a lesson. Look, you can't earn this. And so time after time after time, what happens? The children of Israel come to an impossible situation where they cannot win and God has to fight the battle for them. 
that's what he wanted them to learn at the bitter springs of Mara. That's what he wanted them to learn with the manna. That's what he wanted them to learn when they came across the Red Sea. God wanted them to learn that lesson in the wilderness, but they didn't learn it. So how did he teach them that lesson? Through war. Lack of rest. Battles. Fighting. Conflict. You get the picture? You can enter into what the Lord has for you, or you can make God prove himself to you by bringing extra trials into your life so that you will then finally go, I give up. Anybody ever had that experience? I have. I have in my own life. There are some stubborn things in my life. There's some areas where it's like, I got this, God. And God's going, no, you don't. Yes, I do, God, I got it. No, you don't. Sure I do, God, no, you don't. And you're lying on a veterinarian's table in the middle of Brazil with a heart attack. Same guy that does all those weird things you saw on the screen. Couldn't do a thing. Couldn't save himself. Like, Lord. You see, God will put you in places to where you know that only he can get you through that situation. The question is, do you want to rest or do you want to try and do it your own way? Your pastor's had a few times where he's tried to do it his own way. It's okay. God has also been gentle and kind and it presents here three kinds of rest. They're very easy to see. I want to simply point them out to you. In the Old Testament, there are two pictures, really, that are provided for us. And that's the Sabbath rest of God from his creation activities, and then the rest that was supposed to be in Canaan. There are two different types of rest. One is spiritual rest, and the other was actually rest rest, physical rest. It included spiritual rest, but it was actually physical rest. Canaan was supposed to be a land overflowing with milk and honey, amen? It was like they were supposed to go in and not have to worry about all the things that they had been worrying about when they went into captivity in Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they were supposed to be at rest, but they weren't at rest. Why? Because they wanted things their way. And so God provides for us these three different types of rest in Scripture. Some people confuse, and I believe very wrongly so, that the rest in Canaan is the rest of heaven. That clearly is not the case. It is the rest of this present life. A rest while we're on this earth. It's the rest that walking in the Spirit provides. It is rest here and now. It looks forward to that rest in heaven. But no one will ever pull out their Bible and look at the rest in Canaan and go, wow, the children of Israel just rested there. It was, it was joy in the presence of the Lord. No, it was battles. It was conflict. It was actually war after war after war after war was what they had in Canaan. And in fact, it never ended. In Canaan, the children of Israel were actually taken captive 
They worshiped false gods. But the only ones that had rest were the ones that truly believed the Lord. Because there were always people who truly trusted the Lord. And they rested. But the rest of the people, they got what your unbelief will always get you. That rest that we'll have, the third type of rest, is an eternal rest. So you have the rest that you could say is the rest of our salvation. And you could have the rest of our submission. When I give my life to Christ, I have the rest of eternity. That's, that's a guarantee. It's a promise. But I have an additional kind of rest when I submit to the things of the Lord. Amen? When I stop fighting him, in other words. But there's a third part of this rest, and it's for later. In this world, what did Jesus say? You will have tribulation. But don't fear, I've overcome this world. Now that overcoming in this world is in you, to be sure, but it certainly is not visible in the entirety of this world yet, is it? So it's a future rest in that sense. It's when you get to heaven. That's where that final rest is. That future eternal rest. And so to that end, the writer says, take heed, listen up. There's this other option. That's why he says, if you will hear his voice there in verse 7. Verse 12 goes on and we finish this chapter by the remainder of these verses. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a liar, church. It makes promises it cannot deliver. It will always take you places that you never intended to go. You'll find yourself in harm's way more often than not, but you will not know how you got there because sin is from the devil and the devil is a liar. Amen? You better recognize that. This is a truth you have to know in your own personal life. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It's going to look you right in the eye and say, well, if I just leave my wife, or if I just cheat in this area, or if I just do these things, I'm going to feel better. And then you reap the fruit of that rebellion and your heart is torn. And it doesn't bring the things you thought it would bring. That's why David so accurately portrayed it as sin, though pleasurable for a season, the end of it. Its end result, the final end, is death. Sin always kills. Sin is always a lie. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What rebellion? In the wilderness. The picture here is the difference between rest and rebellion. 
We rest in the Lord or we can rebel against the Lord. That's the two basic choices we have with our will. Whether you want to call it free will or not free will doesn't matter to me. You have a will. The question is, does your will line up with God's will? Does your personal desire line up with God's desire for you? Anything that is contrary to God's desire for you is rebellion. Do you understand? If your will is not aligned with his will, then there is to some degree, large, small, or in between, a degree of rebellion. And if you have rebellion in your life, you will reap a lack of rest. That's what will happen. You'll wake up and you'll have to try and manage this thing that you've created called sin. For who, having heard, rebelled? Who was it? Indeed, was it not all who came out of the Egypt led by Moses? Now think of this for a second. This is a big idea. Who rebelled? Maybe as many as two million people. They all came out of Egypt. They all got to the border of the Red Sea. They all watched God open the Red Sea. They all went across on dry ground. They all watched God kill the Egyptians. They all watched God feed them in the wilderness, give them water in the wilderness, take care of their every need in the wilderness. And not one of them believed. Ouch. You think human hearts can be hard? They sure can. That's the deceitfulness of sin. You see, when people start, oh, you know. Look, the Winers for Jesus Club is a large club, okay? Like, we all have things we don't like about what God's doing. The question is, do you still believe God for what he is actually doing? Which is day by day, he's transforming you into the image of his son. That you live now an abundant life in Christ Jesus. That your life now is no longer your own. It's actually his and you live it for him. You see, they didn't believe God. They wanted God to be something of their own making. Well, God, you should take us into a land that doesn't have any giants in it. Church, if you're waiting for a land without giants, you're going to die waiting for the land without giants, okay? Let's just get that over with right now. You're going to have giants in your life. You're going to face things that you don't think you can defeat. That's where God is big and you need to be small. Amen? If you want to keep the pants on, you want to take God's pants off and put on God's pants, you're going to get swallowed up by God's pants. Let God be God. He made the promise to them. And the fact that there were giants in the land, they should have believed, just like they believed when they saw the Red Sea open up, they should have believed, well, if there's giants, God's got to do something about it because he sent us here. But they didn't do that. They looked at it and said, well, you know, he's going to fail us now. Let God give you rest in the face of your giants. When the giants come, they're not too big for God. They're too big for you. So let God have your giants. Take heed. 
You see, if you have an errant heart this way, then you're going to end up with a disbelieving heart as well. Pretty soon you're just going, well, God can't do that. He can do a lot, but he can't do that. My cancer is too big for God. My lack of a job is too big for God. The pain I'm going through right now in this family thing is too big for God. Our nation, the problems we face, too big for God. With God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Amen. That's the God we actually serve. And he gives us rest in the midst of the storm. The classic example is the disciples. And for lack of time, I'll just paraphrase it. They got into a boat that Jesus pushed them out into the storm in. Jesus knowingly pushed them into harm's way in the storm. What did Jesus have to do to that storm? He comes walking on the water. Hey guys, stop! Peace, be still. Jesus didn't walk out on the water and go, oh man, call the meteorologist. We need to do something about these catabolic winds that come down from Mount Hermon. I mean, who put that mountain there? No, Jesus was at peace. He was asleep in the boat. He was trying to tell him something. You guys are worried. You're all a bunch of Marthas. Right? It's like I'm in a boat with a bunch of Marthas. They need to be Marys. They need to sit at Jesus' feet and recognize who he is and rest. What about us today? Because that's the real, that's where the rubber meets the road, amen? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Because there were some that obeyed, Joshua and Caleb. They went in. And so we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. And so the problem, church, is always with me. It's never with God. And I would leave you with this today. To the extent that we're willing to suffer for the Lord. Willing to allow things to be in our lives that we don't have an answer for. That for which our human effort can't provide the solution. And to the extent that we take heed to those things, even recognizing the danger. But then saying, God, I know you've got this. We will be at rest. Every other way, the solution then becomes me. And to some degree, it is what seems to be the case here, and that's a provocation against the Lord. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? What was Eve's accusation? It was the devil's accusation, wasn't it? Hath God surely said? Does he really mean it? Does he actually have my best interest in mind? 
Church, when I take heed to the word of the Lord, and I believe the word of the Lord, and I walk in the word of the Lord, when I walk in obedience, then it's on God. It is incumbent upon him to perform what needs to be done. When I say, God, you promised me, I can hold him to those promises. And you say, God, I'm resting in you. You said it. The old bumper sticker, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. Amen? That's a truth. The children of Israel didn't do that. They got to the promised land and said, we can't get that for ourselves. The giants are too big. We are too few. They are mighty. We are not. They put it back on themselves. And because of it, they died. You don't want to die with a lack of faith. You don't want to be in that place. God didn't allow them, even though they asked. You remember, they actually asked, really inquired of God. God, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? What an affront to God. He didn't bring them out there to die in the wilderness. He brought them out there to take them in. Amen? What an affront to God that must have been. He brought them out to bring them in. And God is bringing you out right now to bring you in if you will rest in him. But if you want to make your life topsy-turvy, if you want to stir it up constantly, if you want to be in that place to where you're not trusting God, then you're going to live in the result of that. And so for us today, the choice is really rest or rebellion. I can either rest in the promises of God, and resting isn't sitting on your hands. Let me clear that up. It's not you say, well, I'm just doing, you know, I'm over here, I'm waiting for a management position. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. And that can be in any area of your life. It's not that you're sitting, you're not sitting doing nothing. But you're resting that the Lord is responsible for the result. It's like, God, I've prayed. I've been faithful. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And I trust you. And if you brought me out here, you brought me out here to bring me in. There is a purpose. And I'm okay with whatever that purpose is. You know, sometimes he's got to take things away in order to give us what we really should have. Sometimes there's a pruning, isn't there? Sometimes there's a removal before there's a replacement. If you want rest, the Lord surely wants you to have that. And so I pray that you walk in it. Just say, Lord, give me rest today. Rest for my weary soul. You know my needs. He, by the way, has already said he knows your needs before you do. So he's not sitting around, oh, I hope Jeff's miserable today. (laughs) He's good, amen? Doesn't his mercy endure forever? Doesn't give us what we deserve or have earned? He gives us his grace instead. So don't you think he's capable of bringing that rest? He is. But you've got to walk in it. And when you do, you got rest now, 
and you got an eternal vacation coming later. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Any prayer after service, I would remind you the prayer team's in the prayer room. Let me pray rest over all of us. Father, we, oh Lord, we, we need that rest right now. Lord, I know that there are many with legitimate things to concern themselves with. Odd things that are hurtful and painful. Lord, I, I know there's some that are still looking for work. I know that there are some whose marriages are being taxed right now. I know there's some that have wayward children, some that are, Lord, struggling through a, a time of unbelief in their minds or their hearts, or some that have maybe a job that they'd rather not have, and they'd love to have a new one. And Father, we, we don't demean those things as being uh, lacking difficulty. They are difficult, but you are sufficient for those difficulties. And you can speak to the storms in our life that we might have peace And the result of that peace is rest. And so we cry out to you, God. Give us rest in this day that we live in. We thank you for the challenges we face. We know that you are always faithful. So, Lord, fill us with your rest. Fill us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.